It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Thursday. It's time for Locked On Cougars, November 29th edition of the show. We are going to talk BYU basketball. Rough loss in normal Illinois against Illinois State last night. We'll break that down in this first segment for you. Second segment, we're going to talk about a former Cougar and an interesting tweet he put out yesterday and how it relates to the current state of BYU football. We'll break that down. And also in the third segment, we'll catch up on everything else we haven't touched on in the show so far. So you're always up to date when it comes to BYU news because that's our goal, to have you covered every day when it comes to the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks again for joining me. My name's Jay Catch, your host here on the podcast. If you are new to the show, welcome on in. We are available on all major podcast platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify. You can even tell your smart speaker, play Locked On Cougars Podcast. You can find us there as well. My contact information, you can find me on Twitter at Jacob C. Hatch. You can find the show at Locked On Cougars. Also find the show on Facebook at Locked On Cougars as well. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sling TV. We'll tell you about them here in a moment. But without further ado, let's get going. This is Locked On Cougars for November 29th, 2018. I'm fired up. BYU basketball went to Normal, Illinois last night and lost a game 92-89. And this was a game BYU had no business losing at the end of the game. Going into the game, I think it was in question because some players on Illinois State, guys like Malik Yarbrough, can absolutely light it up. And they played very well. Malik Yarbrough in 28 minutes scored 19 points. Uh, was the second highest score on Illinois State's team behind uh, Phil Fain, who scored 20 in this game. But he fouled out at the end of regulation. BYU ultimately went to overtime on what was a questionable call. Uh, But in overtime, BYU sees a chance to steal a win on the road against a team that comes out of the Missouri Valley Conference. It's a high mid-major conference that would have been a win that would have helped BYU come selection Sunday next March. But BYU... Goes, reverts back to some of the issues we have previously discussed and I have, I have lambasted them for previously. The Cougars in this game shot 6 of 28 from three-point land. Uh, Yoli Childs, who led the Cougars with another huge game, another double-double, 27 points, 16 rebounds, 6 assists. So hats off to Yoli Childs, he brought it. So did TJ Hawes, 22 points of his own. Uh, and he was 9 of 10 from, th- from the free-throw line. But TJ Hawes struggled from the three-point stripe. 1 of 8 in this game. Uh, Zach Selius was 2 of 7. Yoli Child, 3 of 5, matched both of those players, and he's BYU's star forward. Those three gentlemen comprised all six made three-pointers for BYU in this game, shooting just 21.8% from three. The Cougars losing this game by three points, 92-89, to when I believe they had no business losing it, also missed 11 free throws. 25 of 36 from the charity stripe for a round number of 64% from the charity stripe. And 
This is an unacceptable loss. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jacob C. Hatch, I said as much last night. This is a game BYU had there for the taking. Malik Yarbrough fouls out just before overtime. I would have thought BYU had this in the bag, seeing him foul out of this game. Uh, the Illinois State lost a couple other a couple other players in this game to, as they fouled out of this game. Zach Copeland fouled out as well as Keyshawn Evans. So, in all honesty, BYU should have won this game. Everything going into that overtime period said to me, "Okay, BYU's got to make it to the next five minutes, close out this game, and win it." What did they do? They proceed to lose it. 21.8% from three goes back to BYU shooting issues earlier this season. The Cougars simply are ice cold from beyond the arc. And similar to what the Utah Jazz have had going on in recent games as well, it seems like when they shoot bad from three, they're not shooting at a high clip. Well, what do they do? They continue to jack them up. I don't get it. I'm no basketball expert. I don't proclaim to be a basketball expert, but I've watched a lot of hoop in my life, and i I've played a fair amount, church ball, played in high school a little bit and whatnot, and my idea was when I couldn't hit a shot outside, I would go to the rim. I don't know what BYU was thinking. Granted, 20 of their 28 field goal attempts from the three-point stripe, that was of 28 of the 72 total field goal attempts in this game. Yoli Childs was 10 of 21, had the best shooting percentage on the team, just under 50%. But TJ Haas, an inefficient 6 of 18. Zach Selyus, 3 of 10. Jasheer Hardnett, 1 of 7. Uh, Dalton Nixon, 3 of 5. That's efficient for what he does. He finished with 7 points in the game. But it's just not enough for BYU. If they're going to shoot these threes in high volumes and 28 threes in the college game is fairly high volume, it's becoming more and more common to see a high number of three-point shots in the college game, but BYU, come on. This was a game that BYU should have had in the bag going in to overtime especially. Best player on the opposing team is out. A guy that is considered to be a next-level player. He's a pest both on the offensive and defensive end. Yarbrough has the ability to bring the ball up the court but also play on the block. We're talking the type of guy that Yoli Childs aspires to be and if I was Yoli Childs I would actually watch Malik Yarbrough's game and try and pattern some of the things he does and incorporate them into his game. Yoli Childs is a great player. Like I said 27 points to lead the Cougars, 16 rebounds also had 6 assists truly impressive performance and if Yoli Childs looks at this team come March and if they ultimately end up missing the NCAA tournament I'm not going to blame him one bit for saying yeah well I've done all I can do I spent three good years here at BYU I'm going to go make my money overseas or in the NBA wherever it is I'm going to go get paid to play basketball because his teammates are letting him down outside of one guy TJ Haas we had him on the podcast earlier this week he's brought it all year long 22 points last night. He overcame his inefficiency from the three-point line going one of eight. But like I said, nine of ten from the free-throw line. He led the way for the Cougars from the free-throw line when guys like Dalton Nixon were one of four, uh, one of two for Zach Salius. Not a great night from the, th- from the free-throw line for the Cougars. Gavin Baxter, 0 of three, despite shooting four of four from the field. BYU's got to get it, got to get it all together. Either you got to figure out a way to score buckets, maybe in the mid-range game, maybe work work it towards the basket a little bit more, go to the rim, use the pick-and-roll game a little bit more. I know a lot of players last year didn't like the ball reversal pick-and-roll style that BYU was using under Heath Schroyer's guidance last year, but guess what? 
it can be very effective when shots aren't falling because the pick and roll game gets you to the rim, gets you opportunities to get buckets at the rim. NBA game anymore, and I know that college game is still different than the NBA, but the the NBA game has become pretty much a game of threes and shots at the rim. You don't shoot mid-range jumpers. I know the college game still incorporates a little bit of the mid-range, but it's starting to really uh, evolve and kind of follow the NBA model where it's shoot from the three, go to the rim. And if I'm BYU, if I'm Dave Rose, I'd be telling my guys, hey, we're not shooting a high percentage from three. I know that they've proclaimed all year long that they're going to, they've been getting open shots, they've been getting looks, they're going to start falling, they've got to start falling. Well, they're not falling. So you got to figure out something else. Plain and simple, BYU, they're failing a guy like Yoli Childs who is putting up incredible stat lines. Another double-double last night goes to waste. 27.16 rebounds. If you were to ask me maybe five to six years ago if BYU was getting a double-double every night from their star big man, how many games BYU would be winning, I would guess they'd be winning a lot of games. So I'm kind of miffed at this. TJ Hawes brought it last night like he normally does, 22 points. But BYU needs scoring from somewhere else. Is that going to come in the form of getting Nick Emery back into the fold next week when they face off against Utah State and Utah? Maybe so. But for the time being, it's not good enough. BYU comes back home this week uh, to face Weber State at the Purple Palace, the D Event Center up there in Ogden. Man, BYU's got to figure something out on the offensive side of the ball. And maybe, like I said, maybe it is that Nick Emery comes back and can solve, get that third scoring role for BYU to really help them out. But this loss against Illinois State is the worst loss on BYU's record this year. Loss against Nevada is understandable. They're a top five team. They're absolutely incredible. Houston's also an NCAA NCAA tournament caliber team. And Illinois State may ultimately prove to be one of those teams. They were left out of the tournament a couple years ago, and that's how this series came about with BYU and Illinois State. Their coach made a public uh, cry saying, hey, we need more high-level games so we don't get left out on Selection Sunday. So that's why BYU signed a home-and-home with them. It's going to be a good win for Illinois State, but BYU currently doesn't have a quality win on the resume. Their three losses are all their opportunities to have quality wins at this point, in my opinion. So this was a game, therefore, the taking for BYU. They've got to figure something out on the offensive, offensive end. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's going to come from, and maybe it does come in the form of Nick Emery. I, I harbor my doubts. He hasn't played college basketball in well over a year at this point. I think it's going to take him some time to get back into the groove of things because if you're not playing games, you can try and uh, simulate it in practice, but if you're not playing in games, you do get rusty, plain and simple. So I still think it's going to take some time for Nick Emery even to get involved. So BYU's got to find some scoring from somewhere. Zach Selyus, I heard a lot of people say all offseason that he was going to be back to what we saw as a freshman. He's not there yet. 3 of 10 from the field, 2 of 7 from 3, not getting it done. He had 9 total points last night. Jasheer Hardnett's had some big nights this season, but it's been wildly inconsistent in terms of his production. So BYU's got to figure something out on the offensive side of the glass, or they need to go back to what they did last year and have more of an emphasis on playing defense. I don't know 
and I'm not going to say the BYU is not playing defense because we've seen some bad defense from the Cougars in the last four to five years. And this year, I thought they've been playing pretty good defense for the most part. Last night, Illinois State, it's a they're a good team. That's This is nothing against the Redbirds. Hats off to them for winning the game. But this was a game BYU had there for the taking. They should have won. So... They're going to have to figure it out. We'll keep you updated on anything that comes out with the Cougars, as we always do here on this podcast. It's a pleasure to bring it to you guys each and every day. But I was fired up last night. Watching that game, I felt like this was an unacceptable loss for BYU, one that they will rue if they miss the NCAA tournament this coming March. All right, I'm done. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Jacob C. Hatch or at the show Locked on Cougars. Find us on Facebook at the same name, Locked on Cougars, there as well. We'll step aside here. We'll come back and talk about a tweet from former BYU great Derwin Gray, the pastor down there in North Carolina now. Great man. I, I respect this man. He's been a good friend over the years. I've gotten to know him fairly well. He had an interesting tweet yesterday we need to talk about and how it kind of relates to BYU football in the modern day. And we'll get to that next right here on Locked on Cougars. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Welcome back to Locked on Cougars. Thank you so much for joining me on this Thursday edition of the show. Had some hot takes there about BYU basketball. Now we're going to talk some BYU football. Derwin L. Gray, one of the best BYU cornerbacks, safeties that BYU has ever seen. I actually think he's the last defensive back for BYU that's been drafted in the NFL. Enjoyed a pretty good NFL career. Has retired. He's now become a pastor in North Carolina. He's got a son that's going to go to Wake Forest to play for the Demon Deacons. But he put out a tweet yesterday that got me thinking. And it comes back to something I talked about earlier this week. He says, quote, I'm thankful that in 1988, Lavelle Edwards and BYU took a chance on a kid from an underprivileged environment who scored a 16 on his ACT. Today, I have a doctorate and have written several books. Dick Felt and Tom Homa developed me into an NFL caliber DB. Hashtag thankful. A 16 ACT, huh, Derwin? Well... I can tell you this much. Derwin Gray would not get into school at BYU with a 16 ACT as things stand at BYU right now. Today's podcast, might want to just call it hot takes because guess what? The BYU admissions office is screwing BYU football. Plain and simple. There was a thought earlier this season that Kalani Sitake and his staff were unable to get JUCO players of any variety into school at Improvo due to the admissions office. We asked him about it, and he said that they, it's become more stringent. They can't get all of the JUCO players they would like into school. It just depends on the academic situation, but it's not a closed door. So they can get some guys in, and they're recruiting kids like Ramondre Stevenson, a running back who's got offers from everywhere out of California, as well as a wide receiver and Brandon Pierce that we talked about yesterday on the podcast out of College of the Canyons there in California as well. 
So they're having to be picky with JUCO players, but they're having to even be picky with high school players. I talked about this, I believe, on Monday's show. I talked about the academic standards of BYU being as stringent as a program that, like a Stanford or a Notre Dame. But guess what? BYU's not on their level in terms of the academic reputation, the football program reputation. Absolutely not right now. BYU's not on that level. So BYU's got to do something different. And I'm sad to say, Derwin Gray would not get into school at BYU. He wouldn't be playing there. The last DB BYU has had drafted, and that could change here in the coming years because there's some talent on BYU's team currently. But there are players BYU, I know for a fact, has had to move on from due to the academic situation when I'd say 90% of the other schools in the FBS ranks, if not more, would have accepted this young man because he passed as an NCAA qualifier. The NCAA qualification, I believe, is still a 2.0 and somewhere around a 15 or 16 ACT, what Derwin Gray had. BYU, on the other hand, is requiring young men to have a 3.5, 3.6 GPA and somewhere between a 20 to a 24 ACT. It's on a sliding scale, but you're asking for a significantly higher standard for BYU players to get into school at BYU and play for their football program. It's handcuffing Kalani Satake, plain and simple. I've got family members. I've got a wife who played collegiate softball. My wife would not get into BYU. She played at BYU. I can give you interest of full disclosure. She played for BYU softball. In this day and age, and she didn't play too long ago, in this day and age at BYU, she likely doesn't get into school there with her grades in high school. And she was not a bad student. Plain and simple, she was not a bad student. I also went to BYU. I was a better student. But guess what? I was not an athlete. I didn't have... I, okay, I played sports in high school. I played golf and football and basketball. I had some fun playing different sports. But I was not going to college on a collegiate scholarship. So I had better academics that ultimately ended up in me getting to, into school at BYU. My wife, she had good academics, but she needed her ability as a softball player to get her into college. There are many football players out there that, guess what? Football is their way of getting a college education, maybe playing in the NFL, making money playing football, but a chance to get a four-year degree and set themselves up for success later in life. And the BYU academic uh, situation right now, the admissions office, feels like, hey, well, guess what? We have thousands and thousands and thousands of people that we're turning away every year. Why are we allowing these athletes to get into school with significantly lower academic um, requirements than what we're actually requiring from our actual from our general student population? Newsflash, the kids that are both athletic or NFL prospects and also are very smart, by and large, Stanford's on them, Notre Dame's on them, Duke's on them, Northwestern's on them. I'm talking about the best of the best. Any Ivy League school is on these, on these kids, and they're promising them the world. And guess what? Currently, those four schools I just mentioned, Stanford, Notre Dame, Duke, and Northwestern, can say, we can send you to the NFL easier than BYU can. BYU's already handcuffed themselves with the honor code, plain and simple. The honor code's not going away. I'm not arguing about the honor code right now. I'm talking about academics for BYU. Something's got to give. The admissions office at BYU, and if any of you know them, let them know I'm calling them out here. Happy to have them listen to this because my wife played at BYU. She would not get into school right now and play for that softball program with the academic standards required of student athletes at BYU. 
I had a person reach out to me on Monday after my podcast, Sean Baker at Sean B. Baker. He said, hey, Jake, I just finished today's podcast. Speaking of Monday's podcast, you mentioned that BYU has raised its academic standards for recruits to a higher place than Stanford and Notre Dame in some places. Is this a real thing? Do those academic blue bloods significantly lower academic standards for high profile recruits or at least lower them more than BYU does? The way I understand it right now is BYU is roughly on par in terms of the academic standards with a Notre Dame and a Stanford. But like I said, you have the honor code to deal with a BYU. You have to go to a young man and say, guess what? On top of having to stay with this top flight academic standards that you have to deal with, we also have this moral code that you have to live. And if you go afoul of it, guess what? You're apt to be at least suspended and potentially kicked out of school for it. Stanford and Notre Dame, I know for a fact, do lower their academic standards for for athletes. It's not by much because, let's be honest, Stanford, these are kids that have 36 ACTs. Notre Dame, very close to it, probably 34, 35 ACTs on average. Their athletes that they're getting in there have lower academics, maybe a 30 ACT, I don't know, 28 ACT with a 3.9 GPA versus a 4.7 GPA for Joey Smalls over there, who is an academia nut. BYU is not on their level right now, plain and simple. I get that BYU is the flagship school of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There are thousands, if not millions of Mormons that want their kids to go to BYU. I wouldn't mind if my kids ultimately go to BYU one day, but based on how everything's tracking right now, my kids are going to have to be the top of the top because I'm not going to put my eggs in the basket that they're going to be a Division I athlete like my wife was. It'd be nice, save me a bunch of money, but currently as it stands, I don't even expect my kids, if they're not even playing a sport, to have a chance to get into BYU. And if you're going to expect student-athletes at BYU to come in, deal with stringent academic standards, also live this honor code, oh, and also go out and play a Power 5 football schedule, and you're expecting them to be a top 25 team year in and year out, good luck. All right, I'll step off my soapbox now. I've had a lot of fiery takes today, but thanks for tuning in into the show. We'll come back. We'll catch you up on everything else going on in BYU sports. Before we do that, though, do need to tell you about today's sponsor on the show, and that is Sling TV. When you want to watch college football, whether it is a Duke or a Stanford or BYU like we're talking about on this program, Sling TV is your best option to catch that. For just $30 a month, you get ESPN Networks, Pac-12, SEC Network, and more. You can stream them all on your big screen and also take it with you on all your favorite devices. Sling TV's goal is to give you the live TV you love only better. There are no useless channels. It's a la carte. You pick the channel lineup that you want to you want to pay for, plain and simple. That's, that's the beauty of Sling TV. There are no long-term contracts. You know exactly what you're paying because there's no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. If you want to check it out and see if Sling TV is the right option for you, go to sling.com slash locked on. That's S-L-I-N-G dot com slash locked on. Check it out, guys. Seven day free trial. Sling.com slash locked on. And if you guys are listening to this and you're in the BYU academic side of things and you want to talk about it, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to get some more insight on this, but because everything I'm hearing, I've talked to plenty of people about this, it is not a tenable situation for BYU going forward. Something has got to give. We'll see what happens. All right, coming up next, more on this show, catching up on everything else in BYU sports. This is Locked on Cougars. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. 
And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. Welcome back to Locked On Cougars. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. It's been a blast to bring it to you. Man, I've been on fire this morning, but watching that basketball game last night and then also seeing Derwin Gray's thing, getting me thinking about BYU and their academics and how it's affecting the BYU athletic department. And my, my thoughts on the BYU football program are also extended to the other sports for BYU. There's a, there's some growing discontent with coaches in the BYU athletic department and how the academics and the admissions office are affecting them in terms of their recruiting. And we can talk about that another day. It just got me fired up talking about Derwin L. Gray. Catching up on other things that happened overnight and also yesterday, BYU Golf announced the signing of two Utah natives from the class of 2019 yesterday in Cole Ponich and Zach Jones. Uh, Cole Ponich is a great player. Attends Davis High School in Kaysville, Utah. He was an all-state player all four years, was the runner-up in this year's state championship. He actually went and played in Paris this past September as part of the Junior Ryder Cup team on Team USA. He was the first BYU signee to ever participated in that tournament. I know that it was kind of it was a cool story because Tony Finau, another Utah native, uh, never played college soccer, but reportedly was going to go to BYU if he had decided to do that. Had a chance to catch up with Cole Ponich. They had a chance to talk. And Ponich is a great player. He was committed to UCLA for quite a while. Thought he would go out of state. Kid that has pro golf career ahead of him written all over this young man. I'm not going to put that on him, but he's a great player. He's done nothing to dissuade um, BYU golf fans from thinking that. He was an AJGA Rolex All-American twice in his career. He'll be joining the Cougars immediately and begin participating this coming fall. And I'm expecting Cole Ponich will add to what is already a young, talented BYU men's golf team. Bruce Brockbank enjoying a career resurgence. It was a few down years there for the BYU golf team, but they are back in a big way and they're adding some great golfers. Zach Jones is a Lone Peak High School grad in Alpine. He helped the team win the last three of their last four state titles, including an individual win over Cole Ponich in a shootout over nine holes earlier this year. He was the 6A Utah State champion. He played again, he played alongside former uh, current BYU golfer Carson Lundell for one year at Lone Peak. He will be a mission kid, so he'll be going on a mission and then come back and play for BYU. But the BYU golf team, this is a team to keep an eye on because Daniel Summerhays, uh, Zach Blair, some of the guys that have come out of BYU recently playing on the PGA Tour, well, there could be a new crop of them coming up in the next four to five years. So keep an eye on the BYU golf team. One other note to get to for you today is that the women's gymnastics team has announced the hiring of a new assistant coach. Uh, head coach Guard Young announced that Leonid Matsuik, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, has joined the Cougars as a volunteer coach. He joins the coaching staff that includes Natalie Brokman and Brogan Evanson. Uh, Matsuik said, quote, I'm excited to join the BYU gymnastics coaching staff. It's a new part of my career, and I look forward to sharing my gymnastics experience and helping these athletes succeed. He's an experienced gymnast. He was 16 years as a gymnast, eight years as a coach, also five years as an 
as an acrobat. He was a reserve for the Olympic national team for Ukraine from 1995 to 2000. Guard Young's doing a good job kind of rebuilding this BYU women's gymnastics team and getting an experienced potential Olympian to join your coaching staff should only help bolster that. All right, that's the show for today. Let me know what you think at Jacob C. Hatch, at Locked On Cougars, on Facebook, Locked On Cougars there. Thanks for all of your support. Please continue to rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. It helps us out a lot. We love bringing it to you. I love bringing it to you. It's a blast to do this show each and every day and have a chance to talk BYU sports with you. We will be back tomorrow with more for you, getting ready for a BYU women's volleyball showdown. They're starting the NCAA tournament. We'll also talk some more about BYU bowl projections, look at what the latest is when it comes to BYU and where they might end up as bowl uh invites are being extended it'll all be announced on sunday we'll look at the latest rumors in that as well and we'll also preview weber state and byu with a good friend of mine from the ogden standard examiner brett hine he's going to join me on tomorrow's show so there you go that's locked on cougars for today november 29th 2018